Good morning, everybody. Are you ready for the Word of God? There's nothing in the world like God's Word to us. Amen. I'd like to ask you this morning again, as we did last week, to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we are teaching a series that we're calling Spiritual Laws, looking at four particular basic spiritual laws of the kingdom. The first one, the law of love, so named the royal law in James 2 and 8. The second, the law of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 2. Number 3, the law of faith, as it is called in Romans 3 and 27. And then in Galatians 6 and verse 7, there is there the law of sowing and reaping. These four laws are eternal. They are supernatural. They are constant. They never change. Even in the natural, we know that there are natural laws that God created and set into motion. For instance, the law of gravity, it works everywhere, all the time, for everybody. And even when it's set to the side for a temporary time, like when you fly in an airplane, and thrust and lift give you the opportunity to, for a little while, defy gravity, the law of gravity still isn't gone. All you have to do is turn the engine off, and you'll find out that it's still there. And uh, so the creator of even natural law in his eternal kingdom gives us spiritual laws. Now, what do we mean by this? We're not talking about an ordinance. We're not talking about uh, speed limit laws. We're not talking about uh, family law. We're not talking about inheritance law. We're not talking about things that men can change and men have established. We're talking about law in the context that it is a statement of fact of what happens when particular conditions are present or particular conditions are met. For instance, in the natural, if you heat water to 212 degrees, it'll boil. It doesn't boil at 210, it boils at 212. Uh, so in the same way, these spiritual laws are that precise and they're that constant. Now, one characteristic that makes a true law is that it works for everybody. Everybody say everybody. everybody. Say that means, me. that means me. It works everywhere. Say that means here. Means or wherever I, am. wherever I am. And it works all the time. All the time. So these laws, the law of love, the law of life, the law of faith, the law of sowing and reaping works for everybody. They work everywhere and they work all the time. Now, Knowing how they work and learning to cooperate with them can make all the difference in what kind of life you're going to live. For instance, we were talking about the law of gravity a moment ago, and we were talking about flying in an airplane, the law of lift and, and you know, all of the dynamics of the thrust and so forth. Do you realize that everything necessary to fly an airplane was present a thousand years ago as far as the laws are concerned if someone would have followed the laws that finally man did and if they would have been able to have obtained the proper uh, raw materials to make whatever needed to be made man could have flown a thousand years ago but what we don't know will keep us from taking advantage of of sometimes some very important things that we need to take advantage of. And so that's one reason we would study these, because these are so important to us. These four spiritual laws are eternal. They are supernatural. They aren't bound by time. They aren't bound by space. And they are not bound by our natural circumstances. That's very important for us to understand that these spiritual laws, the law of love, the law of life, the law of faith, the law of sowing and reaping, they are never bound by time space, or natural circumstances. No matter what you are facing, no matter what you're going through today, if you will put these laws to work properly, your circumstances will change. These laws, these are spiritual laws that have the power to change things in the natural. 2 Corinthians 4.18, we looked at last week, the things which are not seen are eternal, and all the things you can see are just temporary. They are subject to change. Now, 
We started out last week looking at the very first law, and that is the law of love. This is the main one. This is the one from whence all the rest come. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, and I hope you found that by now, uh, in verse number 35, it says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, what is the most important law that there is? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love... Notice what he goes to immediately. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The first and most important law of the spiritual dimension is the law of love. In uh, James chapter 2, in verse 8, it's called the royal law. It is the law of the king, the law of the kingdom. The Greek word here that the New Testament was translated from is the word agape, kind of an unusual word for an English speaker, A-G-A-P-E. It is pronounced agape. And it is unlike all the other Greek words that are translated love, and there's several others that are, but this is the one that denotes the spiritual aspect of love. It is love in the spiritual dimension. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us that God is love. It doesn't say God has love. He's trying to get love. It says he is love. So love, this kind of love, this agape, is the essence of God's character. And it is in itself a spiritual force. It has power. Therefore, this being a spiritual commodity, if I can use that term, means it's not an emotion. Now, certainly it will affect your emotions. And we are emotional beings. I mean, we're spirit beings, but we have emotions. I should say it that way. So there's nothing wrong with emotions in their place. But this kind of love is not an emotion. So it's not a feeling. It, it isn't based on how we feel. It isn't based on how we might make other people feel. Love is love. It is a spiritual commodity, a spiritual force. So if we were going to describe this kind of love, we would say it this way. It is doing what is best for someone else, even if it costs me something. It's doing what's best for someone, even at my expense. And you just think about God. He is love, and this is how he operates. To do what was best for us, it cost him. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he didn't just give a sum of money or some material uh, you know, commodity of some sort. But he gave the very best he had. The most costly, the most expensive gift that could be given was given for us so that we could have his life. Jesus became what we were so we can be what he is, an accepted son of the Almighty God or a daughter of the Almighty God, whatever uh, the case may be for you. But that's what love is. And it might seem almost um, anticlimactic to some people that, you know, if all your love information has come from watching movies or reading novels or your understanding of love only comes from songs out of Nashville, I mean, I could, I could go off onto some <laughs> really stuff here. But if that's your idea of love, you missed it. If your idea of love is only what you see in the culture, whether it's present or past, then you've missed this kind of love because this love is not about that. It is simply doing what is best for someone else, 
even at my expense. So love is doing. Everybody say doing. doing. Love, this kind of love, is an act. This is how God operates. God, I started to say he never gets up, well, he, and he does never get up. But he, so there's never a day on earth where God's saying, I think I don't feel like doing this today. Now, we know that God does uh, have, I guess, what we would call feelings or emotions. We know that God is capable of anger. We know that God sits in the heavens and laughs. And you'd have to know he'd laugh by just all of us looking in the mirror. You'd know that he could, you know, God has a sense of humor. Amen. All right, don't get mad. I'm just trying to lighten the, the, the mood a little bit. Uh, but God never changes. He always operates in love. And he, he loves by decision. Amen. He loves by decision. And he expects us to do the same. Now, I know that I'm building a case that sounds almost impossible for any of us to do, but stay with us because in just a moment we're going to see that we absolutely have the capability of doing this. But I want to make one more statement along that line. Love is doing what God would do. In any situation, you just need to think about that. Love is doing what God would do and what's done for those we interact with. Love is doing what God would do and wants done for those that we interact with. Now, the reason I can do this, if I will, the reason you can do this kind of love, if you will, is because this love has already been deposited inside of you. James 5.22, we looked at that last week, and Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. We're not going to turn to them today, but uh, if you want to go back and listen to that message, it'll bless you. Uh, we know that as born-again children of God, the love of God has been, in old King James language, shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So that means I can if I will. I may not feel like it. My mind and my emotions might not want to. It might be difficult. It might cost me something, but if I make a choice to do what love does, then I'm going to have what love produces. If I choose to do what love does, I'm going to have what love has. Who is love? God. What does he have? Every good and perfect gift. So you see, there is a, there is a, a, a tie between love and even receiving the blessings of God. Now, Jesus taught us in this passage we read two areas of love. Number one, the first, is loving God. And we talked about that last week. And we won't say much about it today, but just a little. But first, he talked about loving God. And then second was loving people. And what we found out, particularly by looking in John chapters 14 and 15, is that the only way I can measure my love for God is to measure how obedient I am to Him. That's what Jesus taught us. So it's not really a feeling you get when they sing your favorite song on Sunday morning. It's not really a feeling you get when you hear a message that kind of stirs you on the inside. I mean, don't get me wrong, please. I love singing my favorite song. I don't really know what my favorite song is. I, I have a lot of favorites. And I love when... You know, you, you hear something that touches you and moves you. I mean, I know that you would be surprised. I know you might not believe it, but, you know, I, I cry at movies. And not just movies on the big screen. I'm talking about movies in the living room. Something just hits me. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't quite do it that way, but I try to suck it up so Glenna doesn't see that my, my eyes are are tearing up. But I love a good story just like you love a good story. I like it when it ends well and everything works out, you know. Uh, I love, so, I, so I'm not saying to you in this teaching I'm doing about love, I'm not saying that you have to become this statue, this stone person that has no feelings and no emotions. I'm saying that you have to live with your spirit in control of your emotions. 
Because the times that you and I need to walk in love the most, whether it's loving God through an act of obedience and passing an obedience test, or whether it's loving someone that's difficult to love at the moment, either way, you're going to have to... Those are the times you need to walk in love the most. I mean, we need to do it all the time, but you understand how I mean that. It's very, very key at certain times that you've got to do what love does if you're going to pass the test, if you're going to really bring to the situation what needs to be brought. And in many of those times, you're just not going to feel like it. You're just not going to feel like it. And so if you base your love on emotions, you probably will fail that test. You'll miss it. But if you have learned what love really is and understand that it's inside you and that love is an act, love is a choice, love is doing what love does regardless of my feelings, then you can pass the test. And so I make this statement to you today. We only love God to the degree that we obey Him. And no more. No more. And this is a choice, an act of our will. Glenn and I were watching the other night a lady preacher that we actually were privileged to meet a few years ago when we were down in Alexandria, Louisiana. And she and her husband founded a church there in Alexandria over 50 years ago. And he's gone on now to be with the Lord. But she is 97 years old. And this video that we were watching was her preaching two weeks ago. <laughs> and I mean, she was standing up there with no stick, no cane, no walker, did a little jumping in part of it. Her voice strong and her message really good. 97. And I was sitting there thinking, now this part I didn't tell Glenna. You know, you don't tell everything all the time. And I'm just telling it today because I have to. But I was sitting there thinking, you know, battles I've had and, you know, think many times in our lives we're believing God, you know, get this fixed, get that fixed. And I was, I was thinking in my mind what many times we think in those cases. I was thinking in my heart, I was having this conversation, not, not out loud, but silently. I said, Lord, you don't love her more than you love me. And before I could almost get the last word out, the Holy Ghost spoke inside of me and said, yeah, but she loves me more. See why I didn't want to tell that? <laughs> but I know a little bit about that ministry and her husband's ministry and a little bit about their commitment level to the Lord, and I couldn't argue with the Lord on that one. You see, sometimes we think that this is all one-sided. It's all about God loving us, and so it really doesn't make any difference how we respond, but that's not true. I only love God to the degree that I'm willing to obey Him and no more. And you may be wondering, well, where are you coming up short, Pastor? Well, the Lord didn't make me have to tell you all that. <laughs> Just mind your own business. One of, those, one of those Nashville songs. Hank Williams' song. Even. <laughs> but this is important because obedience tests... And God doesn't tempt us with evil. But obedience tests do come. And when we pass them, they always will release God's power and God's provision in our lives. Obedience tests that are passed will bring us to promotion to the next level. Levels we won't get to until we pass those obedience tests. I would say this to you, and I'm not just trying to make up a, a preacher phrase, but I think it's very true. Obedience is its own reward because obedience will cause you to avoid trouble. Obedience will cause you to prosper. Obedience will put you in the right place at the right time with the right people, with the right motivation, doing the right thing, and that will put you in a place of great blessing. Obedience is its own reward. And remember this, God never requires us to do anything that would harm us or detract from us. God's commands are not for His benefit. They're for ours. 
The only sense you could say that they're for his benefit is that he loves us so much he's trying to keep us straight so we can be with him forever. But his commands are for our benefit. They're for our good. I've never found anybody yet that obeyed God and regretted it. But the church world is full of people that have disobeyed God and then lived to regret it. In Genesis 15, 1, God spoke to Abraham and he said, God, uh, he, he said, I am your exceeding great reward. So the reward of obedience is God himself. It's the presence of God, the provision of God, and the power of God. This morning I want to go into the second aspect of love, and that is loving people. Matthew 13, 34 gives us the parable of the man who found a treasure in the field. And he immediately went and sold all that he had and bought the field in order to get the treasure. And that's a picture, of course, of what God did with this world. He sent Jesus... To pay the price for the world. That whosoever will can be saved. Knowing that not everybody would receive it. Not everybody would accept it. But he saw that there was a treasure in the earth. There were people who would. People who would love him. People who would serve him. People who would want to be a part of his family. And in the parable, the man sold all he had. In the reality of the antitype, if you will, God gave his very best. The most expensive, the most extravagant gift ever given was when God sent Jesus. And this parable also gives us insight into how God sees you. How he sees us collectively as his people, the church, but also you're a part of the church as an individual. This is how he sees you. He sees you as a treasure. Some of you do not see yourself properly. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just saying you need to see yourself the way God sees you. You need to see yourself from God's viewpoint. He says you're a treasure. Somebody may have told you you're worthless. Somebody may have told you you're a fool. Somebody may have told you lots of negative things. But they're not God. They don't have the last word. When I look out here on Sunday mornings and I see you and we're up here worshiping and you're out there worshiping, we're all, you know, in the presence of God. What I see is a treasure. You really are a great treasure. Praise the Lord. And so, you know, when we're in treasure mode... We're easy to love. But Jesus taught us to love people, and he didn't say love them just when they're nice. You see, our problem where people are concerned is that we just can't control them. <laughs> if people would just do what I think they should do, the way I think they should do it, when I think they should do it, wouldn't the world be a much better place? We can't control their thinking. We can't control their words, what they say. We can't control what they do. And so, therefore, people relationships are risky. Amen. And people relationships can be costly. But here's the thing we need to understand about Jesus' command. And notice it wasn't a suggestion. He was asked about the greatest commandment. And so this is not the great suggestion. But what we need to understand is that if I love people, I'm willing to pay that price. I'm willing to pay that price. Take the risk. <coughs> Excuse me. So if loving God is obeying Him, loving people is doing what's best for them. <coughs> Excuse me. Even at my own expense. Now, you know, sometimes God can talk us into sacrificial giving, sacrificial doing for Him. 
If we understand this is a, um, isn't it amazing how just getting this bottle of water and opening the lid? <laughs> I need to figure something out here. Uh, anyway, uh, we, when, when, we, uh, when we see that, and we know that this is an obedience test I need to pass, then sometimes we'll just grit our teeth, we'll buckle down and do it. We know it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off in the end. But when it comes to doing what's best for people, when it's going to cost me something, sometimes that's tough. And it's all right to say amen, because I know you, you know that. Love is the opposite of selfishness. Sometimes people say, well, love and hate, those are opposites. Not really so. The opposite of love is selfishness. If I love you, I'm willing to give. If I am selfish, then I'm going to withhold. I'm not going to do what's best. And that's the opposite of love. Now, we all love the people that get us. You know what I mean? They know us well and love us anyway. And all the wives said amen. You know, this people thing, it, it, it can get tough. I've told this many times, but, you know, long, long ago, there was a European power called the Empire of Prussia. It's mainly uh, German states and the Empire of Prussia. In it. And they had an emperor uh, one time called Frederick the Great. And Frederick the Great is quoted as saying, the more I know people the more I love my dog. <laughs> I think I heard Nick saying that earlier. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. People can be difficult. And we like the ones that love us in spite of our faults. We like people who can read between the lines, anticipate our next response, our next move. You know, there are times I can... I can, we can be somewhere, and Glenna knows what I'm thinking, and I thought for sure I had it hidden. But just one certain way that my eyes move, and she knows. Now, we love people like that, because that means she knows when I need a ham sandwich. <laughs> I, I, ham sandwiches are one of my favorite snacks. I eat so many ham sandwiches that sometimes when we're on the way home, Nick will ask me, well, is it a ham sandwich tonight? <laughs> many times the answer is yes. But anyway, uh, we like people that, uh, that get us. These kind of people help us become what God intended us to be. They're not jealous of our successes. They're not envious of our place. They don't covet our stuff. They rejoice truly rejoice and are happy when we win, when we have a victory. And they also weep with us when we hurt. And I would just encourage you, you know, we love everybody, but you sure want to treasure these kinds of relationships. You'll not have many of them really in your life. Cultivate them and maintain them. Make time for them and invest in them. Choose wisely who you let into your inner circle. The greatest example of this is Jesus himself. You can't read the four Gospels without realizing that out of the 70, there were 12, and you know, the 12 first, and there were 70 more. Then we understand that out of the 12, there were three that were seemed to be in on all the most special of times. Did Jesus love Peter, James, and John more than he loved Bartholomew? Andrew and Thomas? No. But there were three men that he could gather around him and function at his very best and be who Jesus was. I mean, there was nothing he had to hide, really, but they're just people that get us. And those are easy people to love. But, you know, if loving everybody was always easy, if it were automatic, then Jesus would never have had to command it. You ever thought about that? You would never have to command people to love if everybody always loved anyhow. So the fact that Jesus commanded us to love means that there are going to be times that the only reason I'm going to love is because he said so. 
It's not because it was earned. It's not because I wanted to do it necessarily. But I'm going to do, remember what love is, I'm going to do what love does. Some of the greatest heroes you have in Scripture are people who had serious people problems. We like to talk about Moses, Abraham, David, Daniel. All of them had some serious people problems. I mean... <clears throat> Paul, for instance, there were some people who got so angry at him, 40 men made a vow. We will not eat until he dies. Well, they either died or they broke their vow because Paul kept on living. <laughs> and I'm sure I've made some people mad, but as far as I know, nobody has ever said that I will not eat again until he's dead. <laughs> there are needy people hurting people, ignorant people, foolish people, harmful people. And then there are good people, responsible people, respectful people, caring, caring people. And as a believer, we're called to love them all. The great risk of not walking in love toward people as God does and as God commands, <clears throat> is that we will do harm to them. You don't want to stand before Jesus and have to give an account for how you harmed someone. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, and you might be getting a little sleepy right now. So if you need to change your position, if you need to get up and shout a little bit, run around the room a time or two and get woke back up, that's fine. Um, but you don't want to miss what I'm getting ready to say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn some of your apple carts upside down. I'm going to say some things that you, I know you love me, but you might have a problem with, and you might not know if you agree or not. I'm just saying don't throw it away. Put these things I'm going to tell you here in a moment on the shelf. Talk to God about it before you write it off. Never confuse harming someone with hurting someone. Hurting and getting hurt is a sure thing if you deal with people. No matter how good you are, no matter how good you live, no matter how much faith you have, if you deal with people, there are going to be times you're going to hurt somebody and there are going to be times that you're going to get hurt. But there's a difference between hurt and harm. The dentist hurts, but he doesn't harm you. You know, when I had that thing cut off the top of my head last year, that hurt. I mean, even though I have a hard head, it hurt. But it didn't harm. It was the exact opposite getting rid of something that shouldn't be there. So, you know, um, exercise hurts. The older you get, the more it hurts, it seems. But exercise doesn't harm you. So you see where I'm going with this? You, you, you know, things might hurt, but they don't necessarily harm. And that is true of the way we deal with people. You're not going to live your life without somebody having their feelings hurt because of something you did or didn't do or something you said. The thing to be careful of is, am I right before God? Let's go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2. Now, I promise you this can get wound up pretty quickly. If you listen fast, I might can talk faster. <laughs> I'm reading from the NIV, and here in Galatians 6, and the reason I'm reading from the NIV and not the King James is because the King James uses uh, uh, the same English word twice where the uh, NIV properly translates two different words. So let's, let's read. Verse 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. Notice the word burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law of love. If anyone thinks there's something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Now verse 5. For each one should carry their own, what's the word? Load. Now the King James will use the word burden again. This is accurate. The way it's translated in the NIV, this is accurate because this is a different Greek word than the first word translated burden. My point is there's a difference between a burden and a load. Now you and I need to know about this when we're dealing with people. What is a burden? Well, a burden is a life event or a circumstance that happens to people beyond their control. Some examples would be a family death, a divorce, losing your job, illness, or some other negative event that isn't wanted and wasn't planned for, but nonetheless has to be dealt with. Now, I know that there are ways we can avoid certain things by using our faith and so on and so forth, but I'm just speaking very generally here. Uh, most people don't want a family death. Most people, uh, at least in the beginning, they don't want a divorce. If they have a good job, <laughs> what are y'all laughing about? <laughs> you know, some people, well, no, I better not go there. Uh, you know, most people, if they have a decent job, they don't want to lose it. Nobody wants to have to deal with illness of any kind. So these negative events are things we don't want, and, and we don't necessarily plan for them. But nevertheless, they have to be dealt with. So a burden, in a sense, isn't a choice. It's a consequence. It's a life event that we didn't necessarily see coming and couldn't necessarily stop or maybe even avoid. Or if we know now that we, we've learned something that would, we could have avoided it at the time, we didn't know. You know what I mean? None of us are perfect. And a burden is so heavy that it will actually crush you and hold you down if you don't have help. That's why Paul said, by the inspiration of the Spirit, that we are to bear one another's burdens. And it costs to do that. It'll cost you to be there for people when you had other plans, and it's not fun to do whatever you need to do. It's going to cost you to help bear somebody else's burden. But in Galatians 6, 2, again, we're told that that's the way we fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. It's doing what's best for the other person at my expense. The law of love, the royal law. And so all of us are familiar with this. We've all had these situations. And when people truly have a burden in their life, we as a believer are called upon to help carry their burden. We adjust our schedule. We dip into our pocketbook. We uh, make our plans. We change our plans. We do what we need to do to be there to bear one another's burdens. And that's one of the reasons church, local church, church family, connection to a church is so important because you want to have people that you not only help share their load or their burden rather, but they in your time of need can help share your burden. Amen. Now, what's the other word? The word load. And this is where we upset the apple cart sometimes. A load is not an unplanned life event. A load is not something beyond our control. What is it? It's a personal life responsibility that each of us needs to carry. A load would, would be things that I can do and should do and things I should control. Have you noticed that God has never come down one time and mowed your grass? <laughs> He's never washed my car. He never puts the check in the envelope and sends it to the tax man. 
there are things that are not burdens per se. They are just a load. They are my responsibility. You know, one of the ways you know you've grown up is when you don't keep running out of toilet paper. <laughs> the, one of the ways you know you've grown up is when you don't keep bouncing checks. Now, everybody can run out on occasion. Everybody can mess up their, their books once in a great while. But you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there are certain things we just need to take responsibility for. There are things I can and I should deal with. A load is something I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to come and floss your teeth. <laughs> but you should. Nobody came over this morning and brushed my teeth. You know, there's just some things. I know I'm, this is kind of funny to us, but this goes throughout our whole life. Things that we could, can do and should do. Uh, a load is something I'm supposed to do and can do, and even if no one notices it. Yeah, I, I dare say that nobody at the door greeting you today say, oh, I believe you brushed your teeth today. Good job. <laughs> you know, we hear that a lot in today's world. Good job. People grow up now thinking they should be profusely praised for doing what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to put that thing in the garbage can. You're supposed to pick up your clothes. You're supposed to pay your bills. You're supposed to show up on time. Oh, I could preach here. Praise the Lord. Lord, help me. These are personal responsibilities I cannot expect others to do for me. That's what a load is. And here is where hurt and harm really need to be differentiated. Because you see, and here's, like I said, some of the stuff that people might have a little problem with. It's not my job to carry your load. It's not your load, I mean your job, to carry my load. A family member that's lazy... I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at Glenda because she's not lazy. <laughs> a family member who is lazy or irresponsible. A person who's able, and what I mean by that is they can get out, they could get to church, they, could, they can do things, but they just choose to sit at home and moan and groan and gripe and cry because they're lonely. But they never get out. They never mix, they never mingle, they never show themselves friendly. The immaturity of a grown child. A grown child that perhaps is spoiled. And maybe there was a little fun in the spoiling, but it comes back to bite you. That is now immature. And doesn't act like an adult. The habitual waster of money. That's another one. Isn't it amazing how people who don't carry, don't learn to carry their load financially get mad at all those who don't carry it for them? Well, I know you've got the money. You could, you could spare that. I can tell you've heard some of these things before. The people who habitually waste their time and ne they never make their deadline. They never make a deadline on anything. They're always, as we say, a day late and usually a dollar short as well to finish that saying. The person who won't commit to church where answers come, the Spirit of God moves, where there are wonderful people to form relationships with, where we have an opportunity to worship God in spirit and truth, but they won't commit to that. And to the godly lifestyle that it also brings along with it. But yet, they think somebody else should always bail them out of the messes they create by not taking care of their business. If you're not mad at me by now, maybe we're going to be okay. <laughs> People must learn to take action for themselves. 
I'm talking about loads. That's, that's the way you handle a load. You take action for yourself. You see, you never get in shape by watching workout videos. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? People never grow up just by watching grown-ups. A lot of people have seen some grown-ups, but they're not grown up because they never took that load onto their own life. They just watched somebody else. And I want to say this, and this is very important. You don't help people get stronger by bearing their load for them. Yes, we bear burdens, but we don't bear loads. Not if you really love people. Remember our subject, loving people. This is very hard for parents sometimes and grandparents because maybe you are in a place where you have the skill set or you have the resources to just fix it. Let's fix it and then we'll move on. Let's have turkey or whatever we're having, dinner, you know. But it's not always the wise thing for us to do. And those of you with kids still at home, I just want to give you this pastoral advice. You need to teach your children to bear their own load. If you constantly bear their load, listen, you'll be bearing their load when they're 50 if you're still alive. Because human nature says, if somebody else will do it for me, I'll just let them. This is tough. I know it's tough. But, you know, we need to know how to really love people. You know, maybe you've not thought about that concept of a difference between a burden and a load, but there is a, there is a big difference. When someone has a burden, we help carry it. When someone has a load, we offer encouragement, instruction. We will give advice if it's asked for, and sometimes in the case of parents, we give it anyway. But we don't carry the load for them. We aren't their fixer. We're not an enabler of other people's bad choices and conduct. I remember years ago hearing people say, well, I'm going to buy my kids their cigarettes because if I don't buy their cigarettes, they might get out and get, get them from somewhere else and get into dope. What happened to those kids? They got into dope anyway because you were already paying for the cigarettes. They had extra money. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? The flesh you feed will get bigger. That's really true in a lot of ways. The fleshly nature that you feed, that you uh, make allowances for, it, it doesn't go away. It just gets worse. So don't be an enabler. You say, so you're one of those believers in tough love. I believe in love. And sometimes love is tough. And sometimes love is tender. And wise people know when to manifest each. And the the one, either one or the other in the wrong place can actually help destroy people, not help build them up. Now I want to close with this. Ooh, glory, we're running out of time. And you're probably really ready for me to quit, but I've got a little bit more because I want to help you out today. Each of us is responsible for our own actions, not other people's feelings. Remember, love is not a feeling. My feelings, my joy, my peace, and my success is not your responsibility. Amen. And yours isn't mine. You are responsible for your words and your actions. I am responsible for my words and my actions. It's a wrong notion that Christians Will, should never or will never hurt someone else's feelings. I mean, just think about it. Even Jesus couldn't pull that off. There were people who got so mad at Jesus, they wanted to kill him right there. There were, there were lots of people that misunderstood his very direct statements, who took offense at what he said. I mean, you have never once come in here on a Sunday morning and I stood up and called you a son or a daughter of the devil. 
But Jesus in John 8 said to a group of people, a group of Jewish people one time, he said, you are of your father the devil. Well, that just makes you feel warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? <laughs> so I'm, I'm not saying that we go off on people, cuss them out, that we use all kinds of vindictive language, that we try to cut people down, that we try to hurt people. I'm not talking about that at, at all. Hurts, though, do happen. Harm is a choice. When we stand before God, we aren't going to give an account for how he made others feel. I mean, unless, of course, we deliberately tried to hurt someone. We deliberately tried to be, you know, vindictive and vengeful and mean. Well, of course, that's wrong. But in the course of trying our best to walk in love, we are not going to stand before God and give an account for how other people felt about what we did. Think about Jeremiah, Elijah, and even Jesus. They knew how to speak the truth in love, and they also knew how to say no. Some of you need to grow your no. You need to take it out of lowercase letters into uppercase letters. Not that you necessarily take pride in it or that it's fun, but sometimes you just need to say no. When you're asked that umpteenth thing that you really know you shouldn't be doing, you don't have time for, you're having to neglect the real priorities of life just to keep somebody happy who's on some kind of emotional trip, sometimes you just need to say no. And you don't have to do a 10-minute apology. It's okay to say no if it's in the best interest of the other person or if you're saying no means that you can truly love or obey God. We love people, but we love and please God. If I can please you, I certainly want to. But I may not be able to always please you. But I can always love you and I can always love and please God. Amen? Now, we're just about done. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read to you from the prayer of Paul. I would have loved to have had time to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, reading verses 4 through the first part of verse 8 in the Amplified. If you want to find it, I will read it before we go. We're just a few minutes from being done here. But in Ephesians chapter 3, in uh, verse number 14, Paul reveals the second of two prayers that he reveals that he prayed in the book of Ephesians. The first one is in chapter 1 about the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The other is this one. And he says in verse number 14 is where we'll start. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in what? Love. Rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints <clears throat> what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. So can you see Paul was praying for the Ephesians to have this supernatural uh, empowerment and this comprehension about the love of God, the love of Christ. So one of the things you do for people who are unlovely is you pray this prayer for them. And you pray it for yourself. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, you will never be filled with God's fullness unless you understand and walk in love. A lot of people's faith problems are, are diagnosed right there. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says, faith worketh by love. You cannot be a mean-spirited, hateful, unlovely, and unloving person and be strong in faith. You just can't do it. 
And so we need a revelation of the length and breadth and depth and height. Notice he's describing something that's huge. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. In other words, you can never even figure it all out. And at that point, we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. In the Amplified Classic, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, there is a description of how love acts. Remember, love does. It's a decision. You just decide to do what love does. You'll have what love has, and you'll have what love produces. And here's how love acts. And I, I don't have time to stop and teach each part, so we'll just read it as a benediction to today's message and just let these words sink into your heart this morning, or I guess technically now this afternoon. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person, its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Father, I'm so grateful for your love to us. We are able to love only because you first loved us. We didn't manufacture this love. We didn't think about it. We didn't invent it. This is entirely you. It's your personality. It's who you are. You are love. And you granted to us to have this love on the inside as a fruit of the recreated, reborn human spirit indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So since we have it, all that's left for us to do is do it. Make choices to do what love does. Whether it's to you, Father, in obedience, or whether it's to others here on the earth by doing what's best for them, we believe that you are empowering us, helping us, and guiding us in our love walk. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to take a moment to say that the greatest act of love that ever has been known in the universe is when Jesus came to the earth, when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. No greater act of love. And he only did it because you and I needed a savior. Jesus didn't need saving. Nothing wrong with him that needed healing or fixed. It was us. We were in need. So if you're here today or you're watching online, and you say, I, I don't know Jesus, or for whatever reason you feel like, I'm just not right with God. I'm not where I need to be. I need repentance. I need change. I need to be at peace with God. I want to encourage you, if that's you, pray this prayer with me right now. And I want all of you to pray with me. Repeat after me while you're in an attitude of prayer. Uh, just to help anybody else that might need to pray it, let's all pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I come to you asking for mercy, asking for grace. I believe Jesus died for me, and I thank you for doing so. And right now, I ask you to forgive my sins, cleanse me by the blood. I receive, I take, I proclaim, Jesus is my Lord. He is my Savior. I will serve the Lord all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for making me a new creature in Christ, for making me a part of your family. In Jesus' name, 